Thanks for downloading this IMSA Radio podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be broadcast, reproduced, or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy by visiting imsaradio.com or search for IMSA Radio wherever they get their podcasts. It's the 61st running of the Daytona. 24 hours and let's kick off this race hour with a VP Racing Fuels in-race update because the 60 Simon Pagino Acura that is the entry from Myershack Racing with Kerb Agajanian and that car is now very close to in fact it's just ticked over the 10 second margin I was suggesting that Pagino was aiming at that as a as an initial milestone shall we say well 10 seconds and two thousandths now is the gap between he and the first of the Cadillac racing caddies the V LMDHs and car zero two driven by Alex Lynn still on of course the lead lap but 10 seconds adrift Dane Cameron is in third in the first of the Porsche Penske entries car number six and in fourth position it's the zero one Cadillac so therefore, Alex Lynn's teammate, Scotty Dixon. Wheeling Engineering's racing Cadillac is in fifth position, car number 31. And the first of the BMWs, uh, the BMW M Team RLL entries for Marco Wittmann, running in sixth place ahead of Louis Delatraz, a young Swiss for Konica Minolta Acura AR6. The uh, Wayne Taylor Racing with Andretti Motorsports entry, car number 10. LMP2, again led by Jock van Outer. That's because we're in the middle of a pit stop cycle. So the TDS Racing, number 35, is out front from the AF Corsa, Nicholas Nielsen LMP2 car. These are all Orica 07s, 35 leading 88. And the 52, Paul-Luc Chatin car for PR1 Matheson Motorsports is in third position. LMP3 is still led by Wayne Boyd for AWA. He's in the number 17 baby prototype, 18th overall ahead of Sean Creech Motorsport and the 33 car. That is Nolan Seagal at the wheel. And he has behind him James Vance in third for Fast MD Racing. And GT Daytona Pro, led by David Pittard and Daniel Junkadea, heart of racing team Aston from WeatherTech Racing Mercedes. Then the next four cars in the GT class are GT Daytona Straight. GT Daytona period, you might say. Daniel Morad for Winward Racing in the Mercedes. The heart of racing team, Marco Sorensen, Aston Martin. Uh, the Vassa Sullivan Lexus of Aaron Tielitz is third in GT Daytona. And then it's Ollie Milroy who's working his way up into the mixture in the Inception Racing McLaren. That was your hourly update brought to you by VP Racing Fuels, the official coolant of IMSA. Stay frosty. And on into the night we go, because another hour ticked off. Quarter to three in the morning. And the scrapping out front has lessened a little bit because these gaps have crept in here and there. Although Scotty Dixon and Peter Durrani, the two teammates, oh, sorry, beg your pardon, the two Cadillacs, but they're very much not teammates, are only a second adrift. So Cadillac leading wheel and engineering there, Bruce, for fourth and fifth. While you were doing the rundown there, Johnny, I was just taking a chance to just observe lap times and differences. And I was thinking, gosh, the advantage in the um, Cadillac racing camp is very much with the car in second place. His lap was so much better. Traffic must have been the thing because he wasn't a second a lap faster because the next time around, Scott Dixon in fourth place in the 0-1, that within a tenth of a second. So every lap is different, of course. 
you know that around a circuit, any circuit, but with a car strewn circuit like this one, um, you've just got to knit in a little bit of caution here and there. So I'm, I'm pleased to see that Scott Dixon, his pace looked very good earlier, is winding it back onto the pace. In fact, much better lap from Dane Cameron. But all along, while they're doing that, quick lap, quick lap, quick lap. Simon Paginot, as you said, 10 seconds clear. Now it's 10.3. And now Joe Bradley working like a greyhound down in the pits is with Catherine Lake. Catherine, I'm not sure if we spoke to you already uh, this evening. Uh, you're getting ready to get in the car, I take it. Uh, yeah, I'll be getting in in about an hour, I think. They just want you on the box an, an hour before in case Mark doesn't want to do a double, but I think he's good for it, so I will uh, keep drinking some coffee and get myself ready. Yeah, it's, it, looks, it looks very hard to, uh, to be about to do what you're going to do. Uh, this GTD battle, every time I look, you guys are at the front, then you're in the midfield, then you're at the front. It's going to be like that all the way to the end, I would imagine. Yeah, I, I wouldn't say that we were close to the front, unfortunately. Got a little bit of an issue, which uh, we're not sure what it is, whether it's drivetrain related or what, but we, uh, we're a little bit off the pace, probably about five to seven tenths off of what we should be doing. So um, it's going to be a game of attrition for us while we try and figure it out and make it better, ready for, to go fight them at the end. I mean, back in the old days, a driver could affect the drivetrain with the way that they change gear, but you guys can't, can you? It's just a paddle shift. Yeah, just a paddle shift. Um, you know, we're, we're trying to drive around some problems with like how we brake and, and how we use the TC, but um, the team have done a fantastic job up until now and all the pit stops have been flawless. You know, everything's been great. So trying to, trying to do the same thing and uh, bring back a result that they deserve. Great team ever. Thanks for talking to us, Catherine. So, uh, Catherine, of course, we're talking there of Mark that's Mark Miller, who may go on to do a double stint. Car 66, that's gradient racing, very, very attractive, white, blue and green uh, Acura NSX GT3. She's sharing with, as said, Sheena Monk, Catherine Lake, that's her, Mario Farnbacher and Mark Miller. And, of course, Mario Farnbacher had a very, very strong year last year stateside, so, um, you know, really enjoying his time. But, Johnny, you get to this stage in the race, we've got 13 hours behind and uh, under 11 hours remaining. Catherine there just alluding to little problems with the drivetrain. It's a very, very difficult thing not to start having them affecting your, your psyche, isn't it? When it, there's an issue there, how much of an issue? How easy is it to handle? Is it getting worse? And that, that's, that's endurance racing, though, isn't it? Yeah, completely. And I suppose you can't get hung up too much. If you know that the event is not necessarily going to go your way in isolation, it is nevertheless great for building info and data for the season ahead and you've just got to kind of work your way through it and you never know with this race because it's reset fairly regularly and and when we get to the real money period of the race which is about two hours out most drivers and teams will tell you there is the scope for therefore as the wick is turned up more incident more yellows and then chances of getting laps back and chances of well and truly being in the hunt as we head into that final 30 minutes. You know, I, I honestly can't tot up how many endurance races I've watched over the years. And you and I, Johnny, have been alongside each other in the booth many, many times across the years. But it's when you see someone new to endurance racing, they might take a race, an event at face value. Do the, do the testing, do the practice, do the qualifying, go out and race. But it's knowing how to scope and use 
any caution period that really marks the very, very best teams. You may not have the best car or even the best combination of drivers, but if you can work the pit stops right during and, and, and your car maintenance through the course, if you reckon there are going to be a series of caution periods, uh, you can affect the changes that could make the world of difference. And, you know, it's no coincidence when you've got uh, teams that have got to the very top of the tree and they keep on doing great things. That is because they know precisely how to make, to maximise these situations or, or to minimise the risks. And it's all about the planning. And also, we've seen it over the years. I used to see it particularly with Audi at the Mans. They had everything scoped. They knew if there was a problem being reported in, they already had the repair kit packaged up, ready to be bought into the garage. No rushing off to get the right tool. But um, certainly, experience is absolutely everything. Um, yeah, indeed, Bruce. I'm just going to go down to the pits, Joe, because... Um you, I'm sure, have spotted that there was a flurry of GTP pit stops there. I think Pagino in the 60 and Scotty Dixon in the 01 are still with you. Alex Lynn hasn't yet pitted, so he's now in the race lead in the 02. I'm in GT world, Johnny. I'm okay. going to head out there. Plus, I, uh, I'm at the back of the pits, but um, I'm going to head out there and, uh, and gather some info. I'll make some inquiries. Excellent. Well, we have our driver changes as well. For instance, Dane Cameron's just got out of the number six Porsche. And remember, he was leading up until the last caution. Nick Tandy's taken over there in the number 60. Penske, 963. And Philip Eng is the new driver in the number 24 BMW GTP as well. And Alex Lynn's just arrived on pit road now in the 0-2. That was a 31-lap stint. But impressively... Sebastian Bourdais car which now has he just taken over as well yes he has from the 0-1 so that was Dixie wasn't it to handing over to Sebastian Bourdais that car the 0-1 Cadillac did a 33 lap stint now bear in mind the first few laps were under caution but they've weaked out a nice bit of fuel mileage there in the overnight stint. We do often see this where the, the stint lengths are extended slightly with the engines in a happier mode. It's the Cadillac that is the only non-turbocharged engine, remember, in the, with the four brand-new GTPs. The rest uh, all relying on forced induction, either turbo or twin turbocharged. So maybe that caddy just able to get a bit more fuel mileage, despite it. I mean, it's a huge engine, five and a half litre V and bespokely built for the brand new GTP era, Bruce. I think the cars look fantastic, but they, the whole yeah. story is what is underneath, the different ways of going about things, the marketing reasons for choosing certain engines. And it's a bit like when hybrids arrived in the World Endurance Championship and we had uh, three manufacturers doing things very differently to each other and to stand and watch the advantage i remember one race of the world endurance championship at silverstone each of the manufacturers their cars had performance potential in different areas of the circuit so the number of lead changes and i remember neil yarney was pushing so so hard you know the porsche might have been quicker in a straight line whatever there was the the, the whole mix out in the toyota but uh, anyhow, enough of that. But uh, we're at a different age, a different time. But let's go down to the pits because Joe Bradley has got uh, Michael Christens, who's just done a great stint in the delayed number seven Porsche. Uh, Michael, since those troubles that have affected your car, how is it? Well, the car's all right. Um, good balance. Uh, it's just a matter of staying out of more trouble for now, I think, and um, just uh, keep rolling. Of course, we want to get our laps back but um, I think it's a little bit out of our hands we just need to stay stay cool and um, 
stay grinding and um, hopefully the luck goes our way. How was the when the problem uh, that the number seven encountered, how did that manifest? Yeah, we lost 20 laps and uh, we had to go to the garage and change the battery. So uh, the crew did an amazing job changing, changing the battery and um, getting us out going again as fast as possible. But uh, of course, this puts us back a lot. So is the pressure off, Michael? I mean, I know this is not a test session still. It's still a race for you guys. You want to get back in there? No, of course, it's not. We're racing like everyone else. If you're looking, we're not just rolling around. So of course, we are trying to do our best out there. Let's see what, I mean, we have uh, nearly half the distance to go and, um, I mean, a few cars had a problem early on. It can happen last hour as well. Thank you, Michael. Been working very hard, guys, just talking to Michael there, just literally out the car, put a big uh, quilted jacket on and, and he was kind of still out of breath by the time he spoke to me there. Mm. These GTP cars are, are visceral inside and out. No doubt about it. And it's easy actually to overlook Michael's hard work during that stint because he's bogged down in the LMP2 traffic but he said we lost 20 laps they're now only 16 laps down so you know through hard work and catching a few breaks in the yellows they've actually caught back four laps already uh, you know, that's over several hours and they're now looking to try and retrieve another 16 laps or so in 10, hour, 10 hours and 45 minutes so it's a stretch and you have to think of the pace, about the pace in GTP at the sharp end. I would say, you know, it's highly unlikely for them to be able to luck back into the lead battle. But this is precious mileage for a brand new car and far better for Penske and for Porsche to have two 963s circulating rather than just the one. You said a moment ago, Joe, that you're in GT land. You might have to head back there because we've got Daniel Junkadea on pit road. Now, he's been trying to chase down the GT Pro leader, David Pittard. Pittard stayed out, but you should have the 79 WeatherTech Mercedes on pit road. Is that anywhere close to you? Probably a long way away now I've said that. It can be, Johnny. Uh, when you get to the back of the pits, oh, yeah, behind yeah. the awnings and in the pit boxes, you literally are screened off from the pit lane. Of course. So I'm, I, Actually, I can tell you what's happening because I can see it on the TV screen from one of the pit, but from the Porsche pit box. Um, it's a, a fairly straightforward service. Uh, it's had tyres. Not sure if a driver changed off the jacks now. And now it's uh, pulling off the apron there. I'll go and check out to see if they've... Did you say they've had a driver change, Johnny? I didn't see one. It was a very quick stop, actually. And I'd be surprised if Junkadea had chance to clamber out of that car. Also in on this lap, Ollie Milroy from fourth position in GTD. He'd actually worked his way up to second come the stops. But that's again because we're in a cycle for both pro and non-pro cars. Still waiting for confirmation as to whether Daniel Junkadea was happy to stay on board for another stint. David Pittard, I reckon, will pit next time around, which will uh, be the completion of a 34-lap stint. The Aston Martin car number 23 that he drives has managed to get to 34 laps before. Confirmed, by the way, it is Daniel Junkadea still driving the 79 WeatherTech car. And the Heart of Racing team crew now are into a 1-2, although... As predicted, David Pittard is in. In fact, the sister car comes in as well. So Pittard and Sorensen pitting on exactly the same lap. That's probably by design from Hart Racing Team. And Joe, you still watching these stops, either on a screen or for real? Joe can't speak. He's just been offered You've coffee and biscuits, I would yeah, reckon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, Johnny. Sensible oh, man. Go on. Yes, <laughs> yes Johnny. 
Um, the, these cars, the uh, Heart of Racing Aston Martins, the 27, which is in GTD, the 23 in GTD Pro, they, they have been synchronized pit stops pretty much from the very beginning of this race. And it seems that both cars have pitted at exactly the same time on very much more than one occasion. And we're seeing the same here. We've got a driver change on the 27. Not sure if we've seen a driver change on the 23, but I'll head down there. It's not too far away. They're both off the pit box. It's kind of choreographed, isn't it? Mm. Beautiful synchronicity there as the, uh, the 23 leads the 27 off the pit box and back out. Yeah, I didn't see any driver change. Pittard looked as though he was staying on board. Uh, the 23, but uh, having led the class, but uh, nose to tail for the Aston Martin. So, yeah, good job for Ian James's team. Heart of racing. You know, they've been such a feature the last handful of years of the uh, IMSA racing scene. And, it, you know, these are great moments for them. But, uh, you know, just hearing uh, a short while ago, people talking about the Aston Martin, a lot of teams are moving across this year and experiencing it. And certainly a very, very popular GT car. But I must confess, Certain listeners will probably twitch when I say this. The one that does look the very greatest to me still is, is the McLaren. It just looks such a racy shape when standing still. Just the one 720S for Brendan Uribe's Inception Racing concept. And gosh, his racing career, Johnny, has been meteoric the last time. Uh, yeah, years, it has. Yes. Hasn't it? Well, a couple of trips. Is it now three trips to Le Mans? Certainly at least two. And uh, there was a learning process there, no doubt about it. But you're still favouring the McLaren ahead of this brand new Ferrari 296 GTE and they've got a brand new Porsche 911 GT3R, the 992 Gen as well. Yeah, it was, McLaren, a, snap, it was a snapshot, but I still no. just, I think also the Inception, you know, so many cars look brilliant according to their colour scheme as well. And I think the Inception racing colours, particularly for night racing, look really, really sleek. But yes, when I saw the first pictures of the 296 GT3 Ferrari, I thought, Ooh, my word, that's a lot sleeker than what we had before, and nobody thought the 488 was uh, shabby in its own right, but uh, such excitement worldwide with Ferrari coming to play on the top stage again. But the 296, a lot of people only race GTs because they want to race a Ferrari. Simple fact. You know, posters around the world. People still have posters? I don't know. Yeah, on their I would hope so. We'll allow them some, but uh, again, always a draw, but uh, we'll wait to see how successful it will be out on the track. But, you know, the beauty about GT racing as well as prototype racing is the fact that around the world, you can be in anywhere. I, I should be working this year in the championship out in Asia. They've got a 40-car bumper entry. They've got to turn people away now. So, wow. yeah, the world is bouncing back. And if you're a top GT driver, well, let's face it, a lot started the year in Dubai. They've come here to Daytona, and then they, a lot of them, I think it's 15 or so, are heading on down to, to Bathurst for the 12 hours. And that's just January turning into February. It's mm. extraordinary. You might be asking, where are the Ferraris? Well, unfortunately, two of them are already out of the motor race, they being the number 10 GTD Pro car that James Collado was at the wheel of when that was called as an official retirement. And also the Roberto Lacorte uh, driven the Chetelar Ferrari out of the race. The other two... Uh, are still circulating. Andrea Bertolini has just made a pit stop in car number 023. So that car, 13th in the GT Daytona class. And the other one, which I had on my screen a minute ago, and now I seem to have misplaced. There it is. Simon Mann in the number 21 car is still a going concern as well in 11th position in GTD. So the... Uh, AF Corsa, Simon Mancar, and the uh, uh, 
Triarci Competizione entry, 0-2-3, still out there. But uh, unfortunately, a couple of 296s already out of the race. And you know, they have been struggling for straight line speed, a lot of the drivers have said. Now, the difficulty there with a brand new car is that IMSA, from a balance of performance perspective, don't have... Well, virtually no data at all. They don't have uh, much data at all. So it needs more races for a little, of a little bit of adjustment here and there so that they can be in the reckoning. But make no mistake about it, things will change around, I'm sure, for the next round at Sebring and then onward through the campaign. The Ferraris will be in the hunt by the end of 2023. Yeah, absolutely ever the case. You need the comparison. You need the, the, the data to mix it up and try and make things all fair. Now, I used to be told blue and green should ne'er be seen, which is talking about never together. But talking of race liveries, you mentioned Chetilar racing out of the event. But that, that blue and uh, emerald green livery they've had for years, super crisp. And I thought when I looked at the initial cars here, at initial shops, the cars here at Daytona, I thought, oh, my word, that looks even better than what's gone before. In the many, many years that you and I, Johnny, have been talking about uh, Giorgio Cerniotto and Roberto Lecourt mm. racing together as if forever. But uh, this year's car looks magnificent. But actually, to them, it probably looks dreadful because it's not going. Indeed. And I think officially was our first retirement, of which there have been six so far. And John Hindoff detailing those not too long ago. They are predominantly from the GT class, although the... Uh, Gar Robinson LMP3 car, uh, one of the first prototypes to pack up, which was car number nine for the Riley team. Car 74, that was probably its position, which was the Riley team, car 74. Orange and blue, yes. I Thank make you. that mistake more often than I can care to mention, no. but uh, just for those who have got their chart of doom and they're putting the, getting the big pen, don't what? remove number nine, it's still going. Indeed, yes. I can give you the numbers, in fact, and I'll try and actually give you the numbers rather than their positions. Um, it's the 62 Risi Competizione Ferrari that I mentioned. The Kelly Moss car number 92. 92, yes. correct, yep. 92 Kelly Moss uh, racing with Riley machine. You've got the TDS number 11 that is out of the race. 75 Sun Energy 1 Mercedes. The 74 Riley LMP3 car, as Bruce has just corrected me, and the Chetelar Racing Ferrari number 47. So six official retirements, definitely other cars in strife, but they're all still going otherwise. So 61 minus 6, 55 cars still in the 61st edition of the Rolex 24 at Daytona. Casting my mind back to when I started watching this race, if you got to half distance with half the cars... You were doing well with half the cars running, let alone competitively. But here we are with six down out of this bumper, bumper 61 car. Uh, sorry, it's the 61st uh, year of the race. Yeah, 61, 61 cars. cars. Yeah, of course yeah. it was. Yes, I, I, I always that was found right. that an easy way to remember it. And then <laughs> trip myself up. Although, unfortunately, the, the 60th edition also had 61 cars, so that didn't quite uh, synchronise as well. But 2023, I like it. We will go with that. And uh, I think at this fitting moment, as the fresh batch, the fresh brew from Sacred Coffee arrives in the studio, we're with you for a fair while yet. So just hang in there with us. And thank you very much for Kerry, who's just arrived to produce and brought gifts, but which you can't eat them because we're on air. But they look very nice for afterwards. A bit of shortbread and a millionaire variety as well. Excellent. Yeah, great to look at over the other side of the desk <laughs> at three minutes past three in the morning. 
just about staying awake because this race is entirely engaging and it has been really from the off because it was always going to be fascinating to see how the brand new GTP cars would get on. Wayne Taylor Racing quoted uh, with, with Joe many hours ago now as to saying he was surprised they got past about the three hour marker without most of them being either on pit road or behind the wall. So limited testing, although I think pretty much all the manufacturers have managed at least a 24-hour race. It might have been a 12 and a 12 with a rest in between, but, um, you know, not to put the kibosh on things, and you just watch now, there'll be a flurry of GTP cars <laughs> heading behind the wall. But actually, from a reliability perspective, I think that the approach has been right in that they don't necessarily wring their necks from the off. You know, you go at a, a, a metered pace initially through the daylight hours, get to the night time, get beyond midnight and then you can really start to just inch your way further on that delta and it could get very spicy in the closing hours how much do you hold back the eternal question and of course in the last decade you can normally in a top race not hold a thing back but when you've got a brand new car you can test as much as you like but there's still that element about being out in a race and the curveballs and the, the stop start nature of the periods you can't predict if you're doing regular testing right unless your team, team chief goes, right, 23 laps, we're going to throw a caution. Yeah. You know, yes. Otherwise, you pound around, you do your 31 laps, 31 laps. Um, but yes, hold on, in a caution, we had, uh, who was it? It came in from, uh, it was Alex Lynn after, was it 33, 34 laps? They got a couple more than they would normally do because of the caution period. These things you have to be on top of, and there's no experience like experience, and uh, it really is something to gain. But here we are. Elio Castroneves leading the race at the moment. Number 60, Maya Shank racing with Kerb Agajanian. Akira looking very, very good. Every time Johnny and I have looked at it through since the start of the race, the pace has been there, but what the race has revealed, the fuel economy has been there too. Combine those. You need one other element, you've got the Holy Trinity. But uh, anyhow, those are very, very valuable things to have. And 16.7 uh, seconds is the advantage over Nick Tandy's number six. Porsche Penske Motorsport entry. That's one of the two. If you've been away, that's fine. You're back now with us. But uh, the sister car, number seven, unfortunately lost about 20 laps. It's about 16 laps down. But uh, all they can do is pile around, keep on going in that second car. Just been handed over to Philippe Benazza from Michael Christensen and uh, just see what they can learn because uh, it's going to take a thunder strike uh, for them to get anywhere near the front. It, uh, just for reference, up to 15th place overall. A couple of changes in GT now with new leaders in pro and uh, in non-pro, if you like, GT Daytona straight. With Daniel Junkadea, having said that he was staying at the wheel of the 79, he's now taken the lead from those two Aston Martins that pitted after him. It was a 34-lap stint for the 79 WeatherTech Racing Mercedes. Philip Ellis now at the head of the GT Daytona field in the Windward Racing 57 Mercedes. So it's AMG GT3 from AMG GT3 and then three Aston Martins stacked up behind them. I don't know whether we ever mentioned that Marco Sorensen did get out of the 27 Heart of Racing Aston Martin to be replaced by Roman De Angelis and Pittard and De Angelis are now uh, still nose to tail only separated by a couple of seconds there. Spencer Pompelli in third position in the third of those Aston Martins. Car 44 uh, which is remind me 44 the magnus racing aston martin for pompelli bruce if ever you follow and i hope you will do the various teams your favorite teams but cover all if you can on twitter 
Magnus Racing. They are just so entertaining. There's, there's a shot of a driver in a, on, in a pit box isn't really exciting in its own right. Yes, you get to see who they are, but there's always a funny comment, and I just love the humour that Magnus Racing have, uh, have brought to the racing scene. They go at it hard, but... Uh, you know, they really do just a great job on, on the social side, social media side. And they're, they're Aston Martin, John Potter, Andy Lally, Spencer Pompelli and Nicky Team. Flexbox sponsorship, really crisp looking car. But again, you know, the teams know they've got to work hard on the track, very hard on the track. But the off-track off scene, and there's something special about endurance racing fans around the world. Because they've got a lot of meat to get their teeth stuck into, haven't they? They've got a lot to, to watch. But put humour in as well. Make them feel part of the equation. And I think that's what Magnus Racing does to a level beyond everybody else. I just mm. think they're, they're great. Because uh, we all know the days are long, the nights feel longer. But you need something just to keep you entertained. And uh, again, social media... Every team does it in a different way, and I think a lot of teams in the paddock, uh, and particularly now we've got the, the manufacturers coming in at the very top end, you know, they provide other colours to just add to the whole show. So well done to Magnus Racing. Livening up very nicely on the back straight now at the sharp end of LMP2. That's the gap between Nicholas Nielsen and Jop van Aertert. And in fact, the Dane, I reckon, has just got by the Dutchman on this lap because lap 426 for the LMP2 cars was headed by van Aertert. But across the line, Nicholas Nielsen now in front in the AF Corsa run, 88 Orica 07, ahead of the 35 TDS racing car. So where did the pass actually take place? Coming up onto the speedway, the main speedway itself from the infield. And that's where Nicholas Nielsen got the overlap or the underlap more accurately at speedway turn one on Jot van Aertert. Just a lack of torque or grip perhaps coming off the infield. As I've said, that's a tricky corner. But Jot van Aertert wasn't going to let take that lying down as the front brake discs really glow red hot. And he tried to get back underneath Nicholas Nielsen into the Le Mans chicane. Johnny, you've watched Job Van Aertert since the outset of his career. He's not someone who ever, ever gives up. He's a robust racer, but uh, he just was slightly delayed by a GT car. Couldn't get the power down quite right, and, and the chasing Nicholas Nielsen just knew where to do so. Got the extra few miles an hour onto the banking and really, really made it work. Took the high side around the GT car, whereas uh, Jock Van Aert uh, uh, had to take the low side. But uh, Nicholas Nielsen, another driver whose career is just on up, such an upward trend. He was a Ferrari Challenge racer extraordinaire when he was, I believe, 14 years old. I exaggerate for effect, but uh, certainly very quickly uh, got onto the books of the top teams under Ferrari's wing. And you know what? For a young racer growing up, they get to race a Ferrari, which is great fun, the Ferrari Challenge, but then suddenly, hold on, Ferrari are coming in to the top level of sports car racing. Yeah. Game. Ooh, life is good if you get your timing right. That's a very good point. And, uh, yeah, it is about being patient, I suppose, taking the opportunities where they crop up. And uh, now, you know, that is all paying off with uh, Ferrari, as you say, making strides into the World Endurance Championship. Pit stops for... The 52, which is the third-placed LMP2 car. This is Paul-Luc Chatin coming in in the wins liveried P2 car. Gosh, that, that's been a blink since it was last in, because Joe went and interviewed um, Alex Quinn. But anyhow, is that all normal? It looks completely normal as a pit stop. I suppose time flies when you're having fun. We're not sure this one is scheduled. Yeah, Joe's just uh, shouted up from the pits. Is that the case? But look at it. It just looks like a standard stop at the moment, just uh, clearing out the nose well, I, I reckon, it's Joe, that was a 27-lap stint, which is a pretty pretty uh, bang on the money for LMP2. 
Yeah, just you know what? They come around so quickly, the LMP2 stops. Yeah. And I, you know, you like uh, me as well, I was thinking, oh, he's back in with a problem. No, no, he's done 27 laps. Um, We're the problem. On seeing that, yeah, fueling's done, and now he's out. So fuel only, and there was some sort of. Um, ah, that looks like a pressurised air system. That was a, a, a little bit of uh, tyre pressure adjustment going on on the tyres as well. I think just the front tyres. So they, they brought out a pressurised uh, air, air bottle, uh, which is kind of like a little portable thing, not the huge things that we see. And we see a little bit of air being pumped into the, into the tyre, uh, rather than being bled out. So it was fuel only and a bit of tyre pressure adjustment. Thank you for that. No time to swap for Luke Chatin out, though, because that will be the first of at least a double stint, I would think, for the Frenchman. Alex Quinn still the fastest driver, though, to have driven that car and, indeed, holds on to the fastest lap of the race in LMP2 with a 139.205 for the Cornishman. Just be taking a look at the times, Johnny. OK, we, we've commented that, of course, every lap could be slightly interrupted by a slower running runner if you're on a GTD car. But the number 60, Maya Shank Racing Acura, leading the race by best part of 18 seconds over Nick Tandy's Porsche. Just lap after lap, he do the 1 minute 37s. The sister car, well, not the sister car, an Acura number 10, which is uh, from uh, Konica Minolta Acura, which is uh, Wayne T WTR Andretti Autosport combination. That also can do the 137s, but uh, the rivals are not managing that sort of pace. So this is just a little bit of interest. But if you're a fan of the Konica car, number 10, it's down in seven. It's three laps in arrears. It's had its problems, but the pace is there. We've got time on the clock. We've got ten and a half hours or near enough remaining in this race for them to see if they can uh, get it back. But for Helio Castro-Neves uh, leading the way for Meyer-Shank Racing, what a couple of years they've had. Yeah, agreed. It's one thing winning the Daytona. 24 hours, but to bang in an Indianapolis 500 team, that's showing off, isn't it? Victory in both. Quite extraordinary. Um, on an Andretti theme, uh, I'm afraid I've got to bring you some bad news and uh, a need to bring out the black marker pen of doom because we've not only got the six retirements, we now have to add to that the 36 Andretti Autosports entry. Dakota Dickerson was the last to drive the number 36 LMP3 car. That's the Rasmus Lind, Gabby Shavish and Jarrett Andretti car. But the 36 now with the red background on my timing screen, that is another retirement, unfortunately, after 371 laps. I make that seven now officially out of the race, Bruce. A real shame. It's always a shame to lose any runners in the race, but actually... When I was dipping in and out of the races, I was coming towards the studio and in the opening half of the race, effectively, it was going well in class in LMP3. It's not the largest class of all nine runners in it, but obviously now not nine runners. So for Andretti Autosport, they'll have to focus their attention, all their love on their combination. The number 10 car, the Konica Minolta car, of course, they've got their share there with Wayne Taylor Racing. Yeah, there have been some difficulties with LMP3 engines and then possibly drivetrain-related problems through the week, actually. LMP3s rarely do a race of this length, of course. They're more familiar with four-hour, occasionally, I suppose, six-hour races, but they've principally been built not to race at Le Mans. Well, they do race on the support package, which are 55-minute races in the road to Le Mans, and LMP3 regularly racing in, for example, the European Le Mans series, which are four-hour races, much rarer 
to have to extend their performance across a twice around the clock event. I realise this is now the second season of LMP3 in the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship. So, you know, some extending of their of their scope to do a, a long race such as this has been done for the last 12 months. But um, clearly not all going so well in those all Nissan powered cars with the 5.6 litre power plant these days, all V8 and sound glorious but you've got to keep them running. I suppose you've got to treat them with respect, particularly in the first half half of the race. We are well over that marker now at quarter past three in the morning. It was a 1.40 start yesterday afternoon. So that is 10 hours and 25 minutes still to go. It's the 61st edition of the Rolex 24 at Daytona. You're tuned to RS2, IMSA Radio, with Joe Bradley in the pits, Bruce Jones and Johnny Palmer in the main Radio Show Limited broadcast centre. And remember that every WeatherTech Sports Car Championship race is live flag to flag on RS2 in the United States this year, as has been the case for so many seasons now. And it's uninterrupted in vision outside of the US on the world feed. If you go to the uh, imsaradio.com address, so imsaradio.com website, and then once that loads, click on the live video tab, which is top left-ish. That will take you through to a further page where you can click on the live feed as long as you're not in America. And that is, no, that is not to geo-blocks for you to access coverage in both sound and vision with our commentary perfectly synced. Otherwise, if you're actually at the World Centre of Racing, we're on 107.9 FM and around America on Sirius XM 207 to get that frequency right. I think I might have had a slight misspeak earlier on, but 207 on Sirius XM to get us loud and clear around the US. There's only a bit of creeping inflation. That's fine. We're now back true to the market. The market Indeed moving so. all the time. And in fairness, that is exactly the case with sports car racing. We've been following it long enough and as, a, as, a, as fans first and then, of course, people working in the sport. And just see, it, it does have ebbs and flows, but we're very much about to crest a fantastic wave I, I cannot reiterate how exciting it is to have all the top manufacturers coming to play and wait give it another year 2024 and then the scene is just going to be absolutely phenomenal and uh, of course all the manufacturers doing it in a different way Porsche are very happy to go the customer car route that served them so well through Group C and um, again for the World Endurance Championship to see some of the top names coming in with top sponsors I mean Jota Sport with their Porsche with Hertz rental car livery you know that, that these these are blue chip days and I think I think also looking at Formula One suddenly the Ford logo is uh, being bandied around again and to me all sport my father worked for Ford in the 60s and 70s and 80s if it didn't have Ford in it something was slightly wrong so mm. uh, you know again it would be great to see where that goes and uh, it's all about different forms of racing well, let's go down to the pits because Joe thinks he has something that might be nothing, but it might be something, Joe. What is it? It, it might be my imaginative mind here. So it is quarter past three in the morning, so your mind gets very imaginative at these times. Go ahead. Yeah, very true. I could be delusional here, but I've gone looking for Mike Chang to just have a chat about, you know, the issues that, you know, we're hearing about the number 60 and what exactly they are. And he's not there. He's gone out the back. I've gone next door to Wayne Taylor and he's out the back too. Now, the thing about these two teams, these two Acuras, they share the same motor, don't they? And Wayne Taylor very rarely gets off his, uh, off his 
off his porch, off his perch. So um, it might be nothing if he's perched, that's the word. It might be nothing. Just wondering. Okay. Mm. Is that my inquisitive mind thinking too much into it? You, you used to be a police officer, I'm remembering now. So, uh, yeah, always uh, open to the scope of something happening. Uh, remember, the tennis had its difficulties as well during the last pit stop. Well, not the last pit stop, but the pit stop under caution. That car had to go behind the wall. And there's... I forget now the exact issue with it, but it's it's, leak, it's losing fluids very, very slightly that they're having to top up. Darting to the inside there of the Le Mans chicane. That was a place change, wasn't it? Piva Durrani was closing in on Sebastian Bourdais. The two caddies there, well, got three caddies no, uh, together on the timing screen, but they were very tight indeed into the braking area of the Le Mans chicane, and Durrani leaps ahead, Bruce. Good move. One of those things where you're looking, you're thinking the race is settling down, and then suddenly out of nowhere, but also in a, in a place where if you got it slightly wrong, could have had quite a few ramifications, mm. but Pipo as well haven't totted up how many races he's done at Daytona, but just thought, hey, seize the moment, so he moved ahead of the second of the Cadillacs there, that's a 0-1 car, so it's now Alex Lynn, Pipo Dirani, and Sebastian Bourdais, that's third, fourth and fifth, but still Elio Castroneves leading by the best part of 20 seconds in the Maya Shank car. Now the question that we had, it was just before Joe went into the pits, Nick Damon was still down there, and they were watching the number 10 car with off the screens because it had been put, went to the, behind the pit wall, uh, and before Philippe Albuquerque took it over, they were ins inserting fluids, but the debate was what they were. There was also many, many sorts of suggestion. Hydraulic oil or water? Probably neither, so maybe that's what Joe, Joe needs to find out. Topping up of the number 10 car for Y. WTR Andretti. It was engine oil, said Joe. Thank you very much indeed, Joe. Yeah, he already knew that, but uh, I think there's... Yeah, replenishing that at, at half distance, but I, mm, I, possibly it, it, it's had to have extra fluids at other times during the race, though, as well. So maybe the 10 needed the, the larger uh, service at half distance. But I tell you what, the best place to get this information from is the horse's mouth. So let's go to Joe because he's got Wayne Taylor himself. Incredible. Incredible, you've just walked in with. We're speculating what you guys were, were replenishing on that stop at half distance. Was it engine oil replenishment at half distance? Yeah, it was um, an engine oil situation. We just didn't get... We weren't able to get enough oil in. We had an incident early on when uh, we left the pit lane when the guy had the oil and it broke the, um, the piece, the, 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 the connector to put the oil in. And so we had to go and modify it. And in fact, um, um, we thought we got enough in, but we didn't. Isn't it incredible? You know, the, we, we, we focus on the cars, we focus on the cars and the drivers, but there's all of those elements this side of the pit wall. I know, it's bloody ridiculous. I don't know how, we, I don't know how you guys even get to the finish. Uh, well, I mean... I mean, certainly the 60 car has been running fantastically, I mean, throughout the whole race. Um, the only thing that we've seen that they have potentially is there's a, somehow they've got some oil leaking out of the gearbox. It's gearbox in their case, yeah. Um, from our side, we had a really unfortunate situation where we were dumping oil in, the driver pulled away, and guy fell. And when he pulled away, it broke the the, uh, 
connected. The, the, what's his name? We were putting oil in, so we had to retake the engine cover off, bring it back in, and we lost three laps. I mean, you know what, when when you see your car, your race car go out on the track, it's a massive worry. But at this stage of the race, how are those worries manifesting? You just keep them going round and round? At the moment, I'm not worrying about anything. Right. I'm only worrying about trying to see how to get to the front. Right. Yes, I'm going to leave you to do that. Thank you. How fortuitous that was for us. We're speculating there, and then he's put Wynn Taylor, puts it to bed. Thank he was you, listening. He was listening, and obviously he thought, well, these guys don't really know what they're talking about. I'll set the record straight and walked over to you and said, Joe, turn your microphone on. Here we go. Here's the it, answer. It's for, you know what? You know what? It's it's very very loud here at the back of the pits, and uh, Wayne didn't have any ear protection on there, and I'm, and I'm bellowing in his ear, <laughs> and he's trying he's, he's trying just to sort of set the scene. I'm bellowing into his ear, and he's and I can see in his face he's not quite catching what I mean, but he did did grasp. He did answer all of our questions there. I mean, yeah, completely, I and mean, so forthcoming with information that. You know, other people could latch onto if necessary, but I think that's that's the nature of a brand new period of sports car racing. That things have to be upfront and open because that's how you're going to make some progress at the end of the day. Yeah, and Johnny, I also think very much. You know, Wayne Taylor has been there, seen it, done it, and more to the point, won it. True. And, and again, just that knowledge that you have to adapt to things as they unfurl in front of you. Actually, Wayne sounded quite tired, but maybe he was just tired of being bellowed at by, by Joe. You, you, what you cannot understand is just how noisy certain circuits are. Stand in the pit lane at Le Mans with one of your cans off. That's why my hearing in my right ear isn't so brilliant. Uh, and the noise, it's not just loud. It's just you're in it for so, so long. And that's what is one of the most tiring elements of endurance racing. And Daytona, the sound can be incredibly loud. Take that sound away, you know, Wayne will go on for another 10 hours. That's what he needs to do. Easy. The cars need to go, oh, damn, they need to go 10 hours and 15 uh, to the finish. But, you know, but it's, it's these other pressures, but the team has used the experience and fought it out. Some fantastic uh, That's a lead change. Track. That's a lead yeah. change in GTD. Briefly, as Roman De Angelis got to the high side of Philip Ellis, but Ellis then had the inside line into turn one and fended the Aston Martin off. But it's Mercedes ahead of Aston Martin Vantage. Again, they draw level, door handle to door handle. And LMP2 tucked in behind, wanting to get by, which is coincidentally the class leader in P2 in Julian Canal, the man from Le Mans who is racing with AF Corsa this weekend, and he just briefly acts as a door wedge between the two of them. But that's only just going to quell the battling at the head of GTD, Bruce. Enthralling action there, because you could actually see Roman DeAngelis had to cede a little bit of track space, but he thought, if there's half a chance, when that prototype goes through, I'm going to try and follow it through past uh, Philip Ellis in the, the class-leading GTD Mercedes. But uh, they're back nose to tail. The Mercedes still just in front with its grill glowing blue in the dark, but up around the high side. It's the best way to go, isn't it, here at Daytona? But not quite the high side. He tries the high side. He's cut off. And uh, for another lap at least, the uh, Mercedes is still in front. Great, great racing. So easy to keep your focus on uh, the GTP class. But uh, the GTD almost invariably provides the most nip and tuck around a lap. Some cars overnight are running with that blue light in the grill, others with green. Some have a bright orange light, and I have to say I caught that just as we headed into the nighttime hours last night and thought, that V8 has quite literally exploded and is now raging on fire, but 
It's just the lighting effect, thankfully. So if you catch sight of, I think it's a Mercedes with an orange tint to its uh, wide mouth grill. Fear, um, fear not, that is LED light rather than anything that is um, obliterating the engine. It looks very, very dramatic. In fact, all of these cars look superb, even better perhaps in the overnight period. Daytona, well known for not being plunged into full darkness in the overnight hours and 13 and a quarter hours is it equal in exactly to the amount of overnight running we had at Dubai this year so it's going to be a while yet before we see the sunshine in the sunshine state but just to understand that Johnny of course you say 13 and a quarter hours of darkness we've run only half an hour longer than all of that we're 13 hours and 45 minutes into this race and it probably feels just as long and Joe Still on no, toes well, Joe was just whispering in our ears to say there's another lead change there, boys. That was for LMP2. Paul-Luc Chatin was closing in on Julian Canal, who is the non-pro in that LMP2 lineup for AF Corsa. And Paul-Luc Chatin uh, on a double stint in the wins uh, machine. And where did he get by? On the inside of the International Horseshoe for PR1 Matheson Motorsport. So, Paul-Luc... Uh, staying on board, as Joe detailed at the time of the stop, that wasn't a, a short stint. It was 27 laps, and uh, I can't remember whether Joe said they did tyres, but they probably did because Paul-Luc Chantin is really hustling on. Although, when you double stint drivers, you might want to stick with the Michelin tyres because it will save you a bit of time, certainly on that outlap. It doesn't save you any time in the pit stop in isolation because you can change tyres whilst you're fueling the car. And uh, Hindy was making the point last night that he's not necessarily a fan of that because that's a car going up on the internal jacks and back down again with a fuel nozzle attached. And from a safety perspective, I can see that uh, raising questions. And then also, of course, it's not necessarily damaging to the time because you can do tyres within the length of time it takes to fuel the car. However, where you do lose is if you fit new Michelin tyres and that outlap is so precarious, like driving on ice, um, possibly particularly overnight, although not when it's 66, 67 degrees Fahrenheit. No, but it still provides the scope to be a fool, a chump rather than a champ. Just that little moment uh, going off the circuit. Now, I've heard this one before. Wayne Boyd leading the P3 class, the Ulsterman, um, doing precisely that by best getting on towards one and a half minutes from Nolan Siegel. Nolan stepped up last year to race P3 at Daytona, but a single-seater background for the young American racer, but all the experience of Wade Boyd. AWA, obviously delighted to have him on board, sharing with the Argentinian Nico Varon, Thomas Merrill, and the Canadian Anthony Mantella, but leading by a sizable chunk. So he's doing what he came here to do, lead the class. But of course, it's not all about him. It's about the rotation across all the drivers in that team. Sebastian Bourdais still battling to keep on terms with... Pipo Dirani. So the 01 Cadillac is behind the 31 Whelan V LMDH. They're both caddies, three of them remember in this race, and seem to be virtually neck and neck on uh, lap speed. They are separated by a lap, I make it, in terms of when they next need to pit. Really, the, the previous caution that we had, which was uh, a pit stop ago so we've had one green flag round of pit stops the previous stops are all the GTPs was under yellow so that really reset the field to a certain extent I reckon about another five or six laps for race leader Elio Castroneves 
and Nick Tandy in the number six car will have to come in a lap before that. And a lap after those two will be Alex Lynn in the 0-2 Cadillac. So you've got an Acura leading, due in, I reckon, in four or five laps' time. Porsche 963, car number six of Nick Tandy in second, and then Alex Lynn in the 0-2 Cadillac that he shares with Richard Westbrook and El Bamba running in third position. So a good spread of manufacturers in that top three in GTP. GT Daytona, still with Daniel Juncadea at the wheel. Philip Ellis is just trying to chisel into that gap if at all he can, but the key thing for the Windward Racing crew is that they lead GTD at the moment. That's the class they're looking to win. If they can finish ahead of all the pro cars as well, that would be an extra bonus. But for points, just stay ahead of the green cars. Well, that sounds very simple, Johnny. Let's see if they can uh, manage that over the next 10 hours and 10 minutes or so until the flag will fall at the end of the 61st running of the Daytona 24. The world always watches this race, but watching it this year with far more eagerness and uh, certainly the number in the grandstands and around the infield showing how popular this new GTP period is going to be. 22 seconds the advantage, first to second. Johnny Elio Castroneves, the number 60 Myershank Racing Acura from Nick Tandy's Porsche, number six in that second place. And he's oh, about 17 seconds clear of Alex Lynn, another manufacturer in the mix there. Cadillac in third place overall. Alex in the 0-2 entry. Who's lapping fastest of the top runners? Last time around it was Philip Albuquerque running down in seventh place. That car about three laps down after its assorted problems. We heard uh, very recently from uh, Wayne Taylor Racing, well, from Wayne Taylor himself, and of course they're in conjunction with Andretti Autosport this year. But again, he was talking, Johnny, about the um, the on-the-move fixes you have to do to get around problems that just crop up. And of course, this year in the top class, there going to be more problems that they haven't encountered as yet, but it's how you handle them. Down through the gears, you can hear that in the background. Nick Tandy arresting the speed of Porsche 963 number six. He is 22 seconds away from race leader Elio Castroneves, but comfortable distance ahead of Alex Lynn. That's a further 17 seconds as a margin. And he's now working his way by some of the GTD traffic. So that might well have been the 57 Philip Ellis car, actually. Is Phil in the, you know, he's in the second sector currently, so not the same sector as Nick, who's about to head out onto Speedway Turn 1. But it's relatively quiet from a traffic perspective right now for Elio Castroneves. There are one or two cars around to take care of, but because we've been under green flag for a fair portion of time now, the field is nicely spread out, so you're unlikely to find a, a big batch of GT cars if you're in one of the quicker classes. Remind you that the last caution was shown at lap 400, so that's easy to remember. Well, it came out at 393 and was ended, withdrawn at lap 400, and we're now on 454, so we've had a good 50 laps or so. Good 50 laps or so. Um, on the, oh yes, <laughs> I have mentioned the green flag uh, word, which does tend to tempt yellows into the equation. Hashtag blame Johnny, Johnny, if it happens, I still think we'll do all right for the next uh, 20 or 30 laps. It would be nice to get to the end of this stint at the very least, which is, what did I say, two or three laps away now for Castroneves, the race leader. We'll expect him in in the next uh, four laps. In fact, Tandy 
Joe Bradley, Nick Tandy is already with you. Yeah, Nick Tandy has brought that number six, Porsche Penske, onto pit road. It's uh, taken on tyres and it's taking on fuel as I head down there. A little bit of a windscreen tear off happening as well. So, a pretty standard pit stop for the number six. It's the fueling that takes the longest of the process in the pit stop. The tyres are well and truly done, and we're still waiting for the fueling to happen. Still in there, still holding the hose to the left-hand side of the car. He released it now, and the car released itself with a little bit of a sideways oversteer as he puts the power in, and he's already back out there. Well, I'm expecting a lot of GTP visitors very soon, most of the teams, and I'm up that end of the pit lane. The 0-1 team just waking up. Uh, the wind tailor, a couple of the mechanics of wind tailor racing uh, with Andretti Autosport, um, literally just waking up, having to be awoken as they uh, snatch the little snooze. So we're getting ready for an influx of GTPs in the pit lane for what will be, guys, very much scheduled stops. Thanks, Joe. On the move again, uh, Nick Tandy then, and uh, there'll be plenty more stops for you to call in a second, because as I say, Castro Neves, well, he's working lap 29 now, and that car is capable of, well, at race speed, 31 laps, I reckon. It has done as high as 32, but got it, had a little bit of yellow to get it there. So this is lap 30. I would expect this one and one more, therefore, for the number 60 car of uh, Elio Castroneves, which I'll remind you is the Acura Meyershack Racing with Kerbagajanian entry that he shares with Colin Brown, Simon Pagino, and Tom Blomqvist. But from third position, Pipo Dirani now in, and Joe's watching the stop. Yeah, only fuel. He's not choosing to take on fresh tyres, so it's only a windscreen clean and fuel. Uh, meanwhile, further up towards pit in, We've got the number, the 01 board being hung, the number 10 board for the Conica Minolta car being hung, and the also the number 60, the Mai Shank car is, uh, or team I should say, getting ready to receive their car. Number seven Porsche just in further down. That's the car we spoke to Michael Christensen about. As in comes the number 10, the Conica Minolta car comes to a halt. The fueling gear goes on, and the tires, we're taking on tires on this number 10. So the very splendid looking, it's been this uh, Wintiller Racing this year with Andretti Autosport has uh, had this Conica Minolta, the black livery looks absolutely awesome under the lights, the glossy black, there's something about black cars, my car's black, it's not an Acura though. So we're just getting, again, tyres are well and truly done and the fueling still happening on the number 10 and then when this car is released, we're going to be greeted by the number 60. And guess what? We've got uh, we've got a fluid replenisher, which I believe is engine oil. That's getting ready for the number 60. The number 10 has left. Still awaiting the all one. Here he comes, the all one in from third. That comes to a halt. Uh, tires for the 01 Cadillac. And fuel, of course. Uh, no driver changes going on on any of these cars at this stage. And now, just stepping back out of the way to make room for the number 60. So the uh, the marker board is out, which is on a, a big pole. It's not so much a lollipop these days, it's more of a swinging candy floss 
especially with the uh, Maishan purple and it's got a, a lit Acura badge on there so the driver can easily pick that out the Maishan pit by the way is the very first pit box at pit in and I'm gonna hang fire for this as the car enters the pits now swings immediately left swoops in literally at my feet and the team go to work it's going to be tires for this one driver staying on board and we are seeing a little bit of engine oil and i see a little bit it's about maybe a liter or so and it's it's, it's quite tricky so there's a it's kind of a canister type device with a pipe and the mechanic at the back of the car finds the connector connects that up to somewhere in the oil catch tank doesn't have to take the uh, the rear body work off at all to do this and the job's already done by the looks of it i didn't see any oil go in there i'm not sure they were able to do that there was the, the pit stop stunned the 60's gone and that oil canister had exactly the same amount of oil when he lifted it off as it did when he put it down so i'm not sure they got any oil in on that 60. all right well we'll keep an eye on that Heading back out again is Castroneves then for another stint. Uh, we have reached the end of another racing hour here on RS2 IMSA Radio. Time for a VP Racing Fuels in-race update. They're in the pit lane, but Elia Castroneves is still actually down as the race leader. And on graphics everywhere, that would be Echo to the Meyershank Racing with Kerbagajanian or Acura leading after 459 laps, despite having just made a pit stop from Alex Lynn's Cadillac. Castroneves now heading out, uh, back out onto track. The 0-2 Cadillac uh, v LMDH with Alex Lynn at the wheel is in second position. Then in third, Nick Tandy, who was retained in the Porsche Penske Motorsports 963 car number six. Fourth position for Sebastian Bourdais in his Cadillac. And in fifth place, it's the wheel and engineering caddy for Pipa Dirani. Lone BMW, really. I know the other one is running, but the one in the reckoning is car 24. That's in sixth for Philip Eng. And it's Philip Arbuquerque in the Acura from Wayne Taylor Racing with Andretti Motorsport in seventh. LMP2 led by Paul Lipschatan, the PR1 Matheson Motorsport car took the lead from Julian Canal only about three or four minutes ago. The AF Corsa 88 therefore slipping back to second from car 52. In third position it's the 35 Josh Pearson driven TDS racing car. LMP3 Wayne Boyd for AWA leading that car 17. He's 18th overall ahead of Sean Creech Motorsports number 33. And in third position, the Fast MD Racing P3 car number 87. And in GT Daytona Pro, Daniel Junkadea in the WeatherTech Racing Mercedes number 79 leading from the GTD leader, also a Mercedes AMG for Winward Racing and Philip Ellis number 57. Two Aston Martins come next, GTD ahead of GTD Pro, Roman DeAngelis for Heart of Racing Team, David Pittard for Heart of Racing Team. They're in cars 27 and 23 respectively. And to add another manufacturer into the mix, it's the Lexus number 12 of Carl Kirkwood for Vassa Sullivan running in fifth place when you combine the GT cars together. But that is a GTD car as well. That was your hourly update brought to you by VP Racing Fuels, the official coolant of IMSA. Stay frosty. <laughs>